Hello, happy Friday, and happy Halloween. My name is Katie Martell, and you're listening to The Companion Podcast for issue number 147 of the world's best newsletter. This week, we're talking about how brands and tech are participating in the election, COVID's impact on the purpose of a business, woke-washed marketing, influencer activism, the trouble with facts and rationality, and more. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. COVID-19 is doing a lot to our society, but one thing it's doing is changing the purpose of a business. In a Financial Times article today, uh, Marin Somerset Webb noted the decline of a 50-year reign of Milton Friedman's point of view about shareholder capitalism. In shareholder capitalism, the purpose of a company is to deliver proceeds to the providers of its capital, its shareholders. COVID has accelerated many things. One of these is the shift from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. This is an idea given formality at last year's U.S. Business Roundtable and the Davos Manifesto in 2020. It was also given some credence from Joe Biden in July. As Webb in the Financial Times puts it, COVID-19 has put stakeholder capitalism on steroids. In stakeholder capitalism, the purpose of a corporation is to promote an economy that serves all customers, employees, suppliers, communities, and shareholders. That means focusing on issues such as climate change or gender issues and social justice or employee wellness. Workers, the article says, also have a new high standard for their employers. In a recent survey, over 70% said their CEO should speak out on climate change diversity, and inequality. From where I sit, personally, this has created the conditions for woke-washed marketing, but it also presents all brands with a real opportunity to create meaningful social impact. My second article worth sharing is from Adweek. Stacey Monero, who's the head of Twitter's Art House, um, talks about the shift that's coming in the rise of consumer and influencer activism. For years, she says, brands have grappled with how to communicate their purpose and enlisted talent to spread their message. Today, influencers are flipping the model by choosing brands that align with their values. Gone are the days, she says, where influence was only directed at consumers. Now, influencers are using their voice to push causes to the forefront of conversation, challenging companies to be more accountable and driving meaningful change. As fans expect influencers to speak out on social issues, Stacy says influencers who take a social stand should be seen as a strategic asset, not a liability. Last week, I had the opportunity to be the closing keynote for a fantastic event, Managing Editor Live. The event comes from the intrepid team at RepCap, who describe themselves as a content marketing agency for curious people. Shout out to their fearless leader, Mary Ellen Slater, and thank you for the opportunity to address your audience. My talk was called Navigating the Uncharted Waters of Wokewash Marketing. There's a link to it. You can watch the full replay um, in the show notes here or an excellent recap done by Claire Chiapetta. Claire writes, I'm a marketer myself, and I realize that my choices as a content marketer have consequences. When campaigns make claims without follow through or oversimplify complex systemic issues, they aren't benign. Katie calls this 
wokewashed marketing. It's weird to read about myself in the third person, but, uh, and she warns that this undermines both brands and the social movements they purport to support. I feel like I left Katie's session with a fresh perspective on the power of the work we do and how we can use our influence to make a real difference, not a wokewashed one. I was so delighted to read Claire's recap uh, because that's the point. That's exactly why I do what I do. Um, and if you are listening to this, uh, you can learn more about how to book me to come speak to your event, your school, your group, um, your Friday night hangout. I don't care. But uh, for me, it's about spreading this, this message so that folks like Claire recognize we have the ability to create impact. Uh, but you can learn more about booking me to speak uh, on the link in the show notes. I really recommend checking out an interview that was conducted between uh, the magazine Counterpunch and uh, Jean Kilborn, who, if you don't know, uh, is a pioneering activist who looked at the impact of advertising on uh, a number of, of um, parts of our society. And she's my personal kind of inspiration as I uh, explore the world of documentary making and change making truly in the world of, of marketing. So Jean's interview here touches on branding, it touches on political advertising, addiction, the patriarchy, uh, quite a few things. But one of the excerpts worth reading, um, which is related to my work, is, is this. Uh, Jean says, advertising only reflects the values that can translate into private profits. This is how advertising trivializes culture and co-ops movements for radical change. Is there a company that hasn't put Black Lives Matter on its website? Unless there's real change in the company, this is just fovertizing, turning social progress into another way to sell products. The movement ends up getting subsumed into the notion that it's all about the individual consumer expressing support by buying the right merchandise. The article is, again, touches a number of topics, but um, as true to Jean's point of view, she goes on to say, rampant commercialism undermines our physical and psychological health, our environment, and our civic life, and creates a toxic society. Advertising promotes a disassociative state that exploits trauma and can lead to addiction. To add insult to injury, it then co-ops our attempts at resistance and rebellion. You can see why I love Jean Kilborn. You can see why I'm inspired by her work. And really, I do hope you go and check out her interview in Counterpunch. I am so fascinated by science and research that helps explain the misinformation problem. There's a massive rise in conspiracy groupthink, like QAnon, for example and a larger, broader anti-science mindset that threatens progress. We live in this polarized society where two people are likely to completely disagree over whether owning a handgun is dangerous or vaccines are good for kids. And so I find myself reading articles like the one that I share this week from The New Yorker. Originally, it, it published in February 2017, but it's about the impact that facts have on the human mind. And it explores why reasonable-seeming people are often totally irrational. Facts don't change our minds. One thing I learned is that humans' biggest advantage over other species is our ability to cooperate. And reason developed as a human trait so that we could resolve the problems posed by living in collaborative, cooperative groups. One of these um, kind of 
offshoots of reason that we've developed is confirmation bias. This is our tendency to reject information that contradicts our beliefs. And the authors ask, is this a serious design flaw or an adaptive function to how we survive our hypersocial lives? Some of the authors quoted in this piece prefer the term my side bias. Humans, they point out, aren't randomly credulous. If we're presented with someone else's argument, we're quite adept at spotting the weaknesses. Almost invariably, the positions we're blind about are our own. People experience genuine pleasure, a rush of dopamine, when processing information that support our beliefs. It feels good to stick to our guns, even if we're wrong. There was this explosive email that made the rounds last week. Uh, last week, expense management software Expensify emailed 10 million customers. It's not an abnormal thing for a company to do, but this email told them who to vote for in the upcoming presidential election. The email said, you need to vote for Joe Biden, and it laid out a number of reasons why. And I found this email, as many did, to be incredibly controversial and incredibly inappropriate. There was a new article today, or yesterday, by Malia Russell in Business Insider who dug into what the impact was and what the process was behind this email from employees to the CEO who ultimately sent it and put his name on it. Expensify employees told Business Insider that they had been inundated with messages from customers, as well as people creating accounts and pretending to be angry customers. You can imagine how pissed off this made a lot of people and the abuse that a lot of these employees had to face because of that. The article goes on to say that the company has lost only a handful of contracts, but two of this company's competitors say that their sales leads have exploded since the email went out. Only a small fraction, about 0.5%, have written to the company to talk about the email. Far fewer have gone on and gone so far as to cancel their accounts, according to somebody who works in, in customer success. Um, employees say that many of the comments have been positive, but uh, the worst of the damage could still be to come as customers look for other vendors. Uh, the reason that uh, one of the competitors notes so many customers said they might be actually switching was that they were put off by the blatant, quote, invasion of privacy. After Barrett's newsletter, Barrett being the CEO of Expensify, went out to not only the company administrators who handle the accounts, the Expensify accounts, but also all of their employees who use Expensify. And this, to me, is the crux of the issue. I believe that this was an inappropriate use of access, right, to 10 million people. You know me, if you've heard this podcast before, if you've read any of my emails or any of my um, articles, you know that I believe brands should and can take a stand on social issues. Brands can make incredibly positive changes with policies like internal pay equity, managing who uses their services, and drawing attention to that you know, publicly. For example, and I noted this in a previous newsletter, Hotjar kicked the Trump and Pence campaign off of its behavioral analytics service due to a clear misalignment in core values. I want to quote their statement. This happened a few weeks ago. Hotjar says, the campaign and the Republican Party today stand behind a candidate who has made statements that promote racism, division, and discrimination. Therefore, we believe that the values displayed by this organization as a customer of Hotjar are clearly not aligned with our values as a company. 
And in the spirit of living our value of working with respect, we've decided to take action. So Hotjar took the action and made it very public um, that they did so to take this candidate and his campaign off their service. I feel like that's appropriate. Companies have a say in who uses their products. However, telling 10 million customers who to vote for, that to me crosses a line. And it's purely a political move, no matter how the company justifies it or how much I happen to personally agree with the warnings around voter suppression and who I am voting for as well and already have voted for. From a communications perspective, this just felt like an unnecessary, highly avoidable PR crisis. There were better ways to utilize their platform for social good. Now, I do applaud the CEO's transparency. He forwarded the Business Insider reporter's email to his entire staff and gave them the chance to weigh in directly about how they felt about the move. There was also an, a bunch of transparency in the actual creation of the email, and ultimately about two-thirds of their employees agreed to send it. What happens to the other one-third? And what does this say about their workplace or their culture? I just feel like it's stepping over a line and ultimately was inappropriate. My quote of the week comes from a Vanity Fair profile of uh, everyone's favorite or least favorite uh, member of Congress. Uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez says in Vanity Fair this week, I don't want to be a savior. I want to be a mirror. Now, AOC is uh, the boogeyman of the right and the star of the left, right? So no matter how you feel about her, she is a uh, incredibly high profile individual. Um, there was a beautiful quote in here from Representative Ayanna Presley, who comes from my home state of Massachusetts, who was asked in the piece what the popular narrative miss about AOC. Ayanna says she cites humility. She certainly did not set out to be an icon or even a history maker. I think it was her destiny, but there is no calculation. I appreciated the, the humanizing of AOC. Um, the article is definitely worth a read. I mean, I personally was really taken aback, however, not shocked, by the, the, the death threats, death threats to not only her, but her partner, to her family, her mom. Come on. The article also notes that this you know, 31-year-old woman, younger than me, receives these, these death threats on a near daily basis. I'm inspired by her courage in the face of this. Uh, I'm disheartened by the constant framing of right-wing media, um, which paints her as both a martyr and an enemy. But above, above all, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the impact that AOC is already having. The article notes that a new crop of AOCs is popping up across the country, young, progressive, working class candidates of color who sought seats of power by her example. They quote Jamal Bowman, who's a former New York City principal, in saying, I wouldn't have run for office if it weren't for AOC. I hope you take a minute to read the full Vanity Fair piece, especially if you've only been getting your uh, news from right-wing sources. Uh, it might help humanize her a bit in your eyes. And ultimately, I hope you vote. There are two things that you should know about that I'm up to. Um, on November 10th, which is a Tuesday after the election, uh, I'm going to be live on all your favorite social channels in a new series that I'm doing with Oracle Customer Experience. It's called Experience TV. Um, it's a live show. It talks about trends, news, research, advice, and it has special guests on November 10th um, who are experts 
in the role of content in the world of customer experience. I'll be sitting down with Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Melanie Diesel of StoryFuel and the author of a really great book that you will hear all about on the show. So November 10th, uh, you can basically tune into any of my social channels, check it out, um, or wait for the recap. But please, I hope to see you for Experience TV on November 10th at 3 o'clock Eastern. That is it for this week's edition of the world's best newsletter podcast. Uh, my name is Katie Martell. Thank you for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, uh, send it to some, somebody you love. Tell them to subscribe. Um, you can also get this in an email in your inbox. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, and if you really loved it, give it a rating. If you hated it, um, don't give it a rating. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a great weekend. And again, go vote. <laughs> Ha! <laughs>